Welcome everyone and thank you for joining Soul to Soul Connections with Jenny G. I'm your host, Jenny G. Cousins. Now, before I introduce my guests, in order to get new updated shows, you can subscribe to my YouTube channel under Jenny Cousins. And just to start things off, before I introduce my guests to you, now I've been interviewing people for over 10 years and my guest is extraordinarily profound. He holds a lot of wisdom. And he is also, by the way, one of my mentors, to let you know, and teachers who I'm currently studying with, who I currently also admire very much and respect deeply. So in the interview, we will be discussing how Deutsch's Vedic astrology is connected with yoga, Ayurvedic medicines with the cause and effect and how they all connect together as one with karma, reincarnation, and how divine justice is ultimately achieved. Jeffrey is also an amazing poet. I call him the cosmic poet. I just love your poems too. Now, just before I officially introduce him, I just wanted to give you all just a little bit of a wee background on him. I could go on for hours about his background, but just to give you a little enticer. Now, Jeffrey Armstrong is also known as Kavidra, Kavindra Rishi, if I pronounce that right. <laughs> Jeffrey is the founder of the Vedic Academy of Sciences and Arts, VASA, a member of American College of Vedic Astrologers, ACVA, and co-chairman of the Vedic Friends Association, VFA, along with David Frawley and Stephen Knopp. He has many degrees in history and comparative religion, psychology and literature and poetry. He worked in Silicon Valley for seven years as an executive and another 10 years as a motivational speaker. Jeffrey is a Vedic scholar and renowned keynote speaker at many universities and conferences and yoga festas around the world. He is the author of Karma, The Ancient Science of Cause and Effect, The Vedic Astrology Deck, Spiritual Teachings of the Avatar, God Goddess the Astrologer, Soul Karma, and Reincarnation, How We Continually Create our own destiny, which won, by the way, the independent publisher's New Age Book of the Year in 2001. This book was pivotal as it established the links between Vedic astrology and the body types of Ayurvedic medicine. Jeffrey is also currently finishing a new translation of the Bhagavad Gita called the Bhagavad Gita Comes Alive. Jeffrey also started out as a Western or tropical astrologer for seven years before beginning his studies of Vedic astrologer, astrology with M.K. Gandhi in 1973. He is known for his consistent astrological accuracy, transcendental wisdom, deep insight, and empowering counselings. He was put to test 
with his accuracy on the Fox TV show, Exploring the Unknown, which scored him an 80% accuracy. He also began his studies at age 13 at the age of, or he began his studies at age 13 and has spent 22, five years, or wait, wait, so sorry. He began his studies at age 13. And at age 22, he has spent five years in the ashram in India. Now, everyone, please welcome my guest, my special guest star, I should say, Jeffrey Armstrong. Thank you, Jeffrey. Namaste, Jenny, and thank you very much. For... Oh, it's, it's an honor. It's, it's a complete honor, as I said. <laughs> my joy is well. Good to be oh, here with you. Yes, sorry, go on. Good to be here with you. Absolutely. And can you also, by the way, just share a little bit of what we will be covering in our interviews? Well, I like to think that it's directed by your questions because this is the way that the Vedic knowledge unfolds. There are the natural questions that we should ask from being here in the material world. And if we were just following our natural curiosity, we would say, what is this place? Mm -hmm. Who am I really? Why am I here? Uh, do I only get one chance? Do I have many chances? Do I keep coming back? If I do, why? What am I learning? So the whole process of yogic learning is driven by questions and answers. Yes, it is. And you have all that knowledge. <laughs> well, I am the recipient of it from the great gurus and teachers of India. Um, that wonderful place where this knowledge landed. Mm -hmm. So I've been hungry for it all my life. That was my qualification. And to my great good fortune, I found gurus and teachers who could transmit it to me. Mm -hmm. That's extraordinary. That's extraordinary. <laughs> so can you share with us how you got your Vedic name? Yes. Uh, actually, I have more than one Vedic name, but one is enough for now. It's because of having more than one guru, because a guru is your guide to a particular subject. So one of my gurus taught me the Vedas and something called Vedanta. Mm. And then my other guru was my Jyotish guru, MK Gandhi, as you said. And it was he who gave me the name Kavindra Rishi. So we receive a name for something that we do, you could say. Mm. Uh, when we get entrance into another subject or field and then accomplishment within that, then it's natural also to have a name that talks about that part of our being. You could think of us as happy schizophrenics, <laughs> uh, that the different departments of our being have a name and a department, but it would be that way in a university too. You'd be the professor of this department. But if you had three or four PhDs, you'd be known as someone who was a professor of each of those departments. Mm. So that's why the Sanskrit names uh, are given by the teacher of a Sanskrit subject. And the Veda, the, the library of knowledge from India, mm. has many, many profound subjects. And the more of them that we study and the more uh, authentic teachers we have, you might say we now get a, a kind of PhD in that subject. Wow. Was, was that your first name that was given to you? No, my first name 
was when I was in the ashram and when I studied with my first uh, Vedanta guru, and his name was A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami. And that name is Jamadagneya, a little more of a tongue twister. Jama, <laughs> That's why I let you say it. <laughs> yes, Jama Dagneya uh, Das. So there's a protocol for Sanskrit names. And at first, they're a bit of a tongue twister for us. But in Sanskrit, everything has phonetic syllables and is always pronounced the same way. So once you get used to it, it's much easier than English, which has words spelled the, a different way, but pronounced the same way. For people learning English, that's a nightmare. Mm -hmm. So at least Sanskrit is consistent. So Jamadagneya and Kavindra Rishi are my two Sanskrit names. Oh, that's amazing. That, that's amazing. So what, what drew you into starting um, with your studying? When you were 13, wasn't it, you started? Well, I didn't start the actual studies at 13. I, instead, I started waking up. And what I woke up to was simply the fact that the elders around me did not really have answers to my questions. Mm. And so some of them, I felt, were lying to me. And others were innocently telling me that they didn't know or didn't have answers to those questions or hadn't thought of those questions. Mm -hmm. So if you really do understand the concept of reincarnation, of samsara, of coming back again and again to this world, then we are the immortal being, the consciousness that's inhabiting the body, or the atma as it's called. And each time we come back, it's as if we've gone to another level in a university. So we come back with questions from that level. Mm -hmm. This lifetime, by 13, I had very deep philosophical questions that my Christian church could not answer, that my parents could not answer, that my teachers could not answer. And I really would say that my life has been defined by this unquenchable hunger to find answers to the most important questions of human mm -hmm. life. So you must have felt different, especially being at a younger age and wanting to reach out to, to the unknown, really. Yeah, at first it was a little confusing because I was born in Detroit, Michigan, not, not a city known for its philosophers. So <laughs> maybe rap stars, but not philosophers. So uh, I, I did go through a phase of questioning myself. But by the time I got through high school, which I jokingly call reform school, because the curriculum really isn't designed to answer deep, profound life questions, it's a standard curriculum of our mm. culture. So finishing that and going to university where now it was appropriate to ask any question, mm -hmm. that's where I blossomed and started asking deeper and deeper questions and studying. So I studied two subjects simultaneously, English literature, poetry, and psychology for five years. Mm. And during those studies, I saw that so many subjects that I had to study in university actually came from India. Mm. This was the first surprise. Everything I studied, mm -hmm. science, chemistry, psychology, philosophy, mathematics, medicine, all of them went back beyond the Greek culture and ended up in India. So this was a lot of arrows pointing, look over there and see what that culture has. Mm. So when did, when did you make up your mind that you wanted to go to India and be a part and stay at an ashram. 
you know, I really didn't go to India to go to an ashram. The ashram came to me and was in the United States. Mm -hmm. So this is what was unique about the 60s when I was, I graduated high school in 64. Mm -hmm. So at that time, the world cultures were opening up to us because of media and because post-World War II, an era of free, so to speak, travel became possible. So my little joke about this is that after the British colonized India for 300 years and took everything they could, the gurus and teachers of India said, wait, wait, you forgot the most important thing. You forgot to take our knowledge. Mm. Because the British didn't want the knowledge except the part that they could exploit. But what they didn't want was the philosophical conclusions. Because with no disrespect to either, Christianity doesn't want to hear about reincarnation. Mm. This is the great divide between the Abrahamic religions and what's taught in the culture of, the, of India. And that is that if you take a bigger view, you see yourself as an immortal being mm -hmm. on a long journey. Mm -hmm. But the three Abrahamic religions framed us as having only one life. And I and others who thought about that said, that doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. So as it turns out, we went toward a culture that had a wider view. So I would say the first thing is I started cultivating that wider view. And all the books I read were authors who were to some degree influenced by that. So I worked at a metaphysical bookstore in Ann Arbor, Michigan for three years called Circle Bookstore mm -hmm. and read every metaphysical book that was in print at the time. <laughs> That's where I studied Western astrology. That's where, uh, and by the way, the people that owned that uh, bookstore wrote Matrix Software, the first Western astrology computer software for casting a chart. Oh, it was okay. Michael, Michael and Stephen Erlewine. Mm. And they, Michael was my teacher of, of Western astrology. And in that bookstore for three years, I read all the occult magazine, uh, all the occult learning, all the magical learning, all the theosophical learning all these places throughout the world where the knowledge of India had been leaking out mm -hmm. and having an effect. So that was my sort of PhD, metaphysically speaking. And it was in that bookstore, finally, that I found the books of the person who would become my guru. Oh, that's amazing. That, that's amazing how that was connected with where you were at. Yeah, well, the, the books were now penetrating, especially because of people like George Harrison and the Beatles. The, mm -hmm. The knowledge of India was penetrating into that whole rock and roll scene. And the music that was coming out was reflecting the philosophy that the people like the Beatles were learning. Rolling Stones too, after all, can't get no satisfaction is yeah. the first stage of yoga. Mm -hmm. Until you realize you can't get complete satisfaction in this world. You're not a serious student of the higher truths. Absolutely. Because I love it. You know, there, there's so many sayings that, that you say. And the more I read and study, I'm, I'm like, wow, that's amazing. Like literally all the time. And it doesn't take much. Now, I love, I just want to say, I love how you call yourself a kind of historical private investigator. I love that. Can you, can you explain that? Certainly. Well, because just think that the thing that was accidentally taken away from us 
with no disrespect at all to them, but by the three Abrahamic religions, I think they simplified things because they thought they were talking to simple people. So instead of telling them of many lifetimes, they narrowed it to just one. Mm -hmm. But the problem with that worldview is it makes you small-minded mm -hmm. instead of opening your view to think that we began our journey as protozoa, not being them, but inhabiting them. In other words, our self as consciousness at a certain point came into the material world and started this climb, just like K through university and PhD. Mm -hmm. So I call the universe, the university. Yeah. <laughs> See, there you go again. <laughs> yeah, we're all students here. So to me, reducing this to, to English that allows you to grasp it is the beginning of this process of grasping greater ideas. So sure enough, in Sanskrit, there's a term, Duratma and Mahatma. We've all heard Mahatma because of Gandhi. But Duratma means small-minded. Mm. And Mahaatma means holding a bigger view. Mm. So the view that's taught in the knowledge of India is to see all living entities as atmas, as divine beings, just as we are. We're the atomic consciousness at the center of the whole thing. And to see every living entity that way, every creature, every bird, every butterfly, every tree, everything that lives independently, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. is a being like us going to school like we are and we're all just in different grades and i think this is such a, a kind and non-adversarial viewpoint because mm -hmm. you wouldn't go to third graders and try to get them to understand university subjects yeah so if somebody comes to you and says i'm not ready for what you're doing yet you say okay that's fine yeah don't worry study what you love yeah. take the class you're in it's a kinder easier way than having any kind of violent attitude that you have to become what I am doing right now. This does not exist in the Vedic culture. Absolutely. So that influenced me very much. And temperamentally, I found that this didn't try to put me inside of a tiny box mm -hmm. while pr pretending to give me or offering me something greater. But how can you make someone small to then make them great? Wouldn't you say, You've forgotten who you are. So this is where my guru started out. He said, he wrote a small book called Who's Crazy? <laughs> and in it, he asked, could this large world we live on be a mental institution? <laughs> where people who have simply forgotten who they are live. Do uh, we have amnesia? So I've named it, I amnesia. Yeah. <laughs> forgetfulness of who I am. Yeah. So this journey, it's better to think of it as a journey than a dogma mm -hmm. or a religion mm -hmm. or something you have to do. You don't have to do this. What you have to do is die if you were born. Mm -hmm. What you have to do is eat. What you have to do is struggle to live here. And if you're not philosophical yet, you won't ask why, you'll just struggle. Oh, yeah. But the yogis say that's still being an animal. So a lot of people look like humans, but they're still animals because they're not asking the question yet. Mm -hmm. Why am I doing this? Who am I? Why do I not want to die? Why do I want pleasure? And instead I have to work 10 hours a day. So these are the questions that a guru 
should start the conversation with, and mine did. So I didn't have to go to India. India came to me as the answer to your original question. Yes. It, it's and like that. I gave five years to that guru. I went in his ashram, became a celibate monk at age 23, yeah. and did that from 23 to 28, giving him all my attention and service in return for the wisdom that he passed on to me. Yeah. And that's, that's amazing. I spent years like alone, and, and a lot of people call me the Buddhist monk you know and i even even did a painting and of like i never know what i'm going to paint and i was channeling and i didn't know what and i started painting it and then and then i realized after i'm like oh that was me as a buddhist monk way back well and being a buddhist monk is a very profound stage of learning mm -hmm. because what the buddha taught he said the most important thing you need to understand first without just endless philosophical rambling is you need to know that none of this matter is you. Yeah. This glass is not me. This water is not me. These glasses are not me. This sweater is not me. This necklace is not me. All right. So if, if you decide what you're not, you're on the road to finding out who you are. Mm -hmm. And that's the state that the Buddha called nirvan. In Sanskrit, van means to possess, and near means nothing. Hmm. So nirvan simply means I do not possess anything that's temporary. Mm -hmm. Anything, any of this matter that I'm temporarily in contact with does not belong to me. Yeah. So nirvan is a very deep meditative state of awareness mm -hmm. where you're no longer trapped in the traps of matter. Absolutely. It's not, in my opinion, it's not the final, final stage, but it's a very advanced, sophisticated stage. And the logical one is, if I say to you, what do you want for dinner tonight? You say, I'm not sure. I say, how about Italian? You say, no. I say, well, then how about Chinese? You say, no. So it's easier to say what we don't want than what we want sometimes. Mm -hmm. Same thing happens with this kind of learning. Start with what you're not. It'll lead you toward what's left which is who you are mm -hmm. so, so wonderful I, you took I that, that. yeah I, I would have highlighted that <laughs> that that's another one of your your great sayings it's it's like when um you know you called yourself um the spiritual archaeologist you, you know i love that i just i'm like wow again with that well, I'll give you a great example, too. You know the word in English, doctor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, that's actually a Sanskrit word. Mm -hmm. Oh. It's two Sanskrit words. Hmm. Duke, D-U-K, means pain and suffering. And Tara, from which we get the English word star, mm -hmm. means to heal and restore to its original condition. Oh, interesting. So a duktara, a doctor, is someone who helps you get restored to a healthy and original condition. Now, this is because doctor is a Sanskrit word. It's two Sanskrit words. Mm -hmm. So it's archaeological evidence that Sanskrit came first, that the culture of India came 10,000, 20,000 years ago, 
and Sanskrit, this enduring language that's the mother of our modern languages, created this word. So what I like to say is the archaeological evidence of the ancient culture of India is in the mouth of every English speaker. Mm. So yes, indeed, trace mm. the trail back as far as you can, and you're kind of archaeologist. I'm a linguistic archaeologist and a philosophical archaeologist. Mm -hmm. Arche means the original one, and guess what? In Sanskrit, it's the name for the sun. Wow. Arca. Mm. See, that's why I love your poems also, because they're very cosmic. Like, I'll read it, and I'll just be, and I'll go totally right into that. It, you know, and it just goes right through me, and it, it, it like takes me to the cosmos. Well, you know, Jenny, that's a very important statement, because only recently have we had the printing press, just since Gutenberg. Mm -hmm. And before that, scribes had to write things down, which is very cumbersome, and a chance they'll make mistakes. Mm -hmm. But before that, Everything had to be memorized. So all sacred knowledge was made into poetry. Mm. That's how you memorized it. Mm -hmm. That's why we can memorize songs easily, but not things that have no particular rhyme or reason. Yeah. But everybody knows you are my sunshine, my only sunshine. Well, the meaning of you are my sunshine is a mantra in Sanskrit called Gayatri. Om Bhur means I, my Atma, my true self, is just like the sun shining in the sky. Maybe. So if you understand mm -hmm. how to see this way, this is yoga. Now you have a permanent link to the sun. Mm -hmm. And you know how to draw that. We're all yogis. We all have to go to the beach to get uh, something. Yeah. We're, we're calling that sun's energy inside of us and outside of us. So what if yoga is just finding your true self and then using your true self to connect with all the great realities that we're surrounded by? Yeah, the pranic energy of the sun is what I, I like, I just draw on that. All yogis wake up in the morning and the first thing they do is look at the sun and say, I want to be like you. Oh, wow. I don't want to be overcome by darkness ever again. Yeah. See, so there's a mantra that says that. It says, Asatoma yeah. Sadgamaya. That what is temporarily real lead me to what is always true. Tamaso mm Majo -hmm. Tirgamaya. From the darkness lead me into the light. The enlightenment. And Mrityorma Amritangamaya. From death lead me to what I really want, which is in an immortal state of being where my life and pleasures and being is not interrupted. Raise your hand if you love to die it's right away. Yeah. I can send the corner to your house if you want. Yeah. <laughs> oh, thank you. Could it be tomorrow, maybe? Well, that's, yeah. our, that's our true self talking. Could I not die, maybe? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've read, I've read poetry, you know, but I've never, honestly, I, I mean, I've never really been drawn to it until I started reading your poetry. And I mean, I really, really mean that. Oh, that's lovely. Well, you know, at the bottom of poetry is a beautiful lady in the Vedic knowledge called Saraswati. Mm. In the Greeks, they called her the Muses. Mm. So, it, and in Latin, it used to be if you said, you're a genius, the person would say, no, my genie did it. Oh. <laughs> Meaning the divine manifestation that I got in touch with 
used me to write the poem. Oh, absolutely. So this is the Vedic perspective, the, the knowledge of, of yoga, that if you link to something, then you could download it. We understand this better with computers now. Mm -hmm. You could download it. And that downloading, you wouldn't take credit for what came through you. Just it was broadcast from somewhere. So you'd say broadcast from somewhere over there or from this channel or from this place, mm -hmm. MSNBC. But in this case, Saraswati. Mm -hmm. In this case, from the divine being who's in charge of all the arts. And all the ancient cultures knew there was some amazing female who was in charge of everything being beautiful. Mm -hmm. the, keep, the feminine beings are the keepers of, among other things, beauty, mm -hmm. life itself and beauty. Mm -hmm. So these feminine divines are part of what's missing again in our culture that doesn't have them and has a male-only divinity. Yes. Again, no disrespect, but it's, mm -hmm. it's not an mm -hmm. accurate vision to say yeah. Yeah. that the divine is only masculine because you don't explain femininity in a divine way. Mm -hmm. So this is what was amazing about India, that they're, they're saying that you, if you think masculinity is beautiful, and you look at femininity and think it's beautiful, then wouldn't you expect both of those to be present in the source of everything? Yes. Yes, you would. The balance. Not only the balance, but the source. Mm -hmm. If that's the source of everything, then who's the source of the beauty we see reflected in the feminine? Mm -hmm. Remember, we're not the body we're in. So yeah. I call us intergalactic cross-dressers. Yeah, see, that's perfect. <laughs> We go from one body that's male to the next life female, to the next yeah. life male, to the next life, something between the two with no prejudice. Though all of those are possibilities for our embodying. Mm -hmm. so why should we hate or be against or dislike anyone for their embodiment? Yeah. So of course, we're finding out now in society that this is just not acceptable. It's, mm -hmm. it's diminishing and harmful to the people that are being not accepted as valid. Mm. So the, this viewpoint doesn't invalidate anyone. It says, well, whatever body you got, you created, and do the best you can with it. It's not good or bad. It's a body. Yeah. Use it well. And you are the consciousness inside. You're mm -hmm. not the body. Yeah, I, I agree with that, because I, I know that I've had certain people um, state, well, if you don't have that perfect healthy body, you're not higher consciousness. No. And I, I, I completely disagree with that. I, I say nothing and I walk away from the ego and the ignorance from it personally. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's like saying that uh, beautiful people can't be in ugly cars. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's absurd. Or red cars are great, but black cars or green cars are not so great. Uh, it's the paint job that makes the car, is it? Yeah, uh, absolutely. It's, it's the energy from it, regardless what it is. Yeah, it's not only that. It's the actual being inside yeah. who's emanating that energy. Yeah. So we shouldn't be afraid to say that each one of us is a facet of the divine. We're yes. individual facets of that great being. So if we just, that's what this means. It means I see you that way. Mm -hmm. That's how I'm looking at you. Mm -hmm. Energy. Not, not for your paint job, not for your covering, not for the vehicle you're driving. Yep. I'm looking at you, the true, yep. conscious, sublime, immortal being 
driving the car. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's where I find a lot of people struggle with because they, you know what I mean? And I'm like, uh, no. I amnesia. <laughs> you can get it in a minute. You can just walk out into the world somewhere and, and have a trauma and then forget who you are for the next 10 years. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So this is what yoga does. Yeah. Yoga brings us back every morning to reinstate who we are mm -hmm. at the sunrise of every day. We spend an hour or two hours doing various meditations that mm -hmm. reestablish us as an immortal being visiting the realm of matter. Yes. Yeah, staying balanced in this earth plane. <laughs> Trying our best to. Yeah, no, I get, yeah, exactly, exactly. So what, like, what, when did you decide that you're going to start teaching? Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, like at what age or what made you, like, decide, you know what, I've, I've got to start teaching now? Yeah, well, when I went into my guru's ashram for five years at 23, I certainly didn't think myself qualified to be a teacher. But what he said to us, he said, look, I've come here from a culture different than yours. So just go out in the world and with respect, share this, these ideas with others because they're ideas that your culture doesn't have. Now, I can't say that everyone in my guru's movement was equally respectful because that's a matter of individual evolution also in training. But for me, I got it. I, I thought, okay, I see. Don't try to force anything on people. Just try to share it. And if they say, I'm hungry for more, then keep feeding them. So in a very real sense, as soon as you speak the truth in that moment, for that moment, you are a guru. Mm -hmm. Or you could say, the guru just used you to speak the truth. Mm -hmm. The question is, how much of your speech is like that? And does your speech and your actions, are they the same? Do they, are they both in integrity? Mm -hmm. And if they're not, mm -hmm. then you know how to speak it, but not walk it. Yes. So there's a term in, in Sanskrit, acharya. You hear the word car in there? Akarya, acharya. So car, our English word car, comes from the Sanskrit for a guru who is living what they're teaching. So to the best of my ability from 23 years old on, I've been living this knowledge and trying to live it as perfectly as possible. And at age 32, I was going to university again, uh, comparative religion at Santa Cruz. I was going to become a professor, perhaps I thought. Mm. And so I started teaching this knowledge there and about 300 people came and said, we want you to be our guru. <laughs> but I was only 32 years old. Yeah. So I said to them, you know what? That's very sweet of you, but I'm not mature enough to be a, a full-time guru. So thank you very much, but I'm only going to teach you a little bit, but you'll have to find someone more mature to take the responsibility of being your guru. And I took a vow at that age that I would not be a guru until I was at least age 50. And so I took a vow that at age 50, if everything was ready and I thought it was in good conscience, I would begin to become a full-time teacher of this knowledge. So 
I just turned 73 in this body. So for the last 23 you years. You don't look it. Well, I don't, don't feel it either, I guess you could say. <laughs> uh, but it's the grace that comes from living well as a yogi for, my, for 50 years of my life also. For using Ayurveda and Chinese herbs and, and Ayurvedic medicines and yogic practices and doing uh, practices every day and, and living in a way that is not harmful to other human beings. Mm -hmm. These things do protect our usefulness and our innocence and the better qualities of what we can be as a human being. So basically, that, that was the story. Mm. Like, did you, because whenever you said 50, was like, did you hear 50 years old or you thought, you know what, I'm just going to wait until I'm 50. Like, is there any meaning around behind that? Well, this brings us back to your astrology uh, questions. Yeah. Because I knew of my own horoscope and I knew that I was going to finish uh, just in the early part of my 50s with a particular transit that signaled uh, that most likely, and, and it turns out did, signal the maturity of my wish to be a full-time teacher in the world. Mm -hmm. The first thing that was certain was there was nothing else I wanted from the world. So I've never owned property. I've never uh, had wealth. And when I began teaching with my partner, uh, Sandy, who joined me in this, which was quite unusual, mm -hmm. I found a, a partner and we married and partnered with this teaching as our goal. So mm -hmm. in ancient India, there were mostly couples teaching. Oh. So, yeah, like you'd find in school teachers, they're married rather than single, most of them. Oh, okay. So it used to be that way in India. And then socially and historically things changed, especially with the thousand years of India being colonized. So at a certain point that got fragmented and celibates became gurus, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. meaning completely isolated, sequestered monks. Mm -hmm. and that is one way to be a monk. The other way is to be like a monk, mm -hmm. but to have a partner and to work together and teach by example. Mm -hmm. As a husband and wife couple, they call that a dharma patni, a, mm -hmm. a dharmic relationship where the goal is not pleasure, the goal is service. Yeah. So Sandy and I began doing that. Mm -hmm. But when we decided to do it, we had enough money to pay one month's rent. It wasn't that we were millionaires yeah. and had lots of money and we could just afford to go teach. Mm -hmm. We just said, this is what we both want to do in life more than anything else. Mm -hmm. So for the last 23 years, we have taught entirely on grace, entirely in uh, harmony with that single desire that we have been given the precious gift of knowledge that's useful to everyone. And therefore, to do whatever we can to bring that into the world is the only thing that's left in, in this world for us that's interesting. Yeah. See, so if you gave us $10 million right now, we'd keep doing exactly what we're doing. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't suddenly go on a world tour and have vacations in every place yeah. and buy real estate. And uh, yeah. so that's the, there's, it's a stage of your evolution where that's mm -hmm. all that you want to do. That's when you become a guru and you have yeah. to have knowledge as well. Yes, absolutely. So when, when did you start practicing um, Vedic astrology? Right. Well, first of all, back in the 60s at age 19, mm -hmm. I went to a party once and somebody had an album 
where they had musically described the 12 signs of the zodiac. Now, I'd never heard of, really heard of astrology or much about it, mm -hmm. but I was intrigued as I listened to that. And I went outside and looked up in the sky, and I saw that the sky itself, with its stars all twinkling, looked just like a lit up human skull. Wow. And just at that moment, there was a meteor shower that flashed across the sky. Of course, getting your attention. <laughs> totally getting my attention. So now I'd seen the skull and seen the brain, and now I got to see the synapses of the nerves going back and forth. And shortly thereafter, I got that job I told you about at the metaphysical bookstore mm -hmm. and started learning Western astrology. Yeah. But in Western astrology, there's a tragic error of not understanding a, 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 a motion of the earth and the pole of the earth wobbles mm. and the wobble of the pole of the earth changes which sign is rising at the first day of spring each year mm -hmm. and you have to track that wobble western astrology decided not to so western astrology is 24 degrees inaccurate to the stars Mm -hmm. and this is very important because it's the stars that are the basis of astrology. Mm -hmm. And if anyone wants to, to look at this, there's a program, an app for your phone called Sky View. I love it. I have it. It's a free app. It mm -hmm. lets you see where the planets are in the stars at any time. That's Vedic astrology. Mm -hmm. That is to say, that's called sidereal, or that's where the stars and planets really are. Western astrology is 24 degrees. Mm -hmm off from that inaccurate mm -hmm. so although much of the knowledge in both systems of astrology is shared mm -hmm. their western horoscopes are all 24 degrees inaccurate and of course they're not linked back to the tradition of reincarnation mm -hmm. which you mentioned in your introduction mm -hmm. so it kind of leads us to that because along with knowing about our own continued existence as individuals over time, it's also important that we know that the cause and effect that we create in each lifetime as a human being is kind of like ordering something from Amazon. Mm -hmm. You're the home address. Mm -hmm. So if you leave one body after 90 years of ordering from the catalog, then the universe still owes you all of that cause and effect. It isn't even justice and it's certainly not punishment. It's just the stuff that belongs to you because you've already ordered it from the catalog. Mm -hmm. So what we don't understand is that we can't die. So life after life after life as a human, we create cause and effect and that that cause and effect creates our next family that we're born in, our next body that we live in, creates some of the things that are delivered to us in life. Not all of them, because some of them we're creating right as we go, but some of the cause and effect. So this is what the way to think of it. Karma means mm -hmm. not just cause and effect. It means cause and effect from life to life. Mm -hmm. That's the important part that everyone leaves out. Yes. Science talks about cause and effect, but they do not talk about cause and effect from life to life for each individual. Mm -hmm. So that's the basis of astrology. Mm -hmm. The when we land on the earth, that moment of birth is a blueprint 
which tells us about the kind of vehicle we just got, its Ayurvedic body type, the vata, the pitta, the kapha, as they're called, the different ways that that works, and it gives a delivery schedule for <laughs> cause and effect that we created. So I call it UPS, mm -hmm. Universal Parcel System. <laughs> so astrology is the delivery schedule for UPS, and it also creates the engineering diagram that describes the particular body that we're inhabiting right now. Mm -hmm. All of this was our own creation by our actions in a previous life. So it is neither punishment nor reward. It is response and it is cause and effect. And if you think of us as in school, we're working on things from life to life. So how is it that I, I saw a five-year-old the other night play along with an orchestra as a piano player and play the most amazing concert I've ever heard that no, no human could do a better job practically than he did. And he's yeah. five years old. Mm -hmm. He gets up on the piano, he can barely sit on it and reach the pedals. So now how do you get that? Yeah. Tell me. You could say it's random. I no. say, that's naive. Do you, have, you, you randomly become a brain surgeon? Do you randomly learn anything? No. Yeah. You study it. So this child obviously came in having been, mm -hmm piano player yeah so this cause and effect studying a large frame of cause and effect is the result of seeing ourselves as intergalactic travelers mm. over time yeah. widens our view and it softens it so we're not being punished by an angry deity every time something doesn't please us yeah yeah well, there you go yeah because there, there's so many children like youngsters that are so amazing like america's got talent you, you know just different shows that you watch and it's and absolutely it's like that's you know like their past like that's who they are as a soul coming forth their energy because that you know that's unexplainable right yes and what to speak of the fact i i when i was working at that metaphysical bookstore i had a two volume set of research that was done on young children taking people to places they knew in a previous life and explaining the details of their previous parents. Mm -hmm. their, it's been very well documented, completely yeah. impossible situations of mm -hmm. knowing where some people, mm -hmm. most people don't wake up remembering, but they do. And, and this is back to where we started in our conversation. Yeah. I woke up at 13 and said, something is very wrong here. Yeah. No one is able to answer my questions. I mm -hmm. wonder why I'm here. And why I'm here was the most important question in my life. Yeah. Not, can I get a job? Not, I want to go own land. Mm -hmm. I didn't like playing Monopoly. I didn't care who owned the houses and hotels. Mm -hmm. I wanted answers. Yeah. So every one of us is in a different stage in the curriculum. And if you're listening to this, and these questions bore you, then you're not at that stage of interest yet. Yeah, absolutely. They make you hungry, you are, mm -hmm. and you should pursue them. Yeah. Start asking them of everyone around you. Yeah. And, and you'll eventually find most people go, I don't know. I don't mm -hmm. even think about it. Mm -hmm. Fine. Well, then they're not ready for the conversation yet. But if you are, yeah. then maybe that's why you're hearing this. 
yeah. so that you'll realize you're not crazy. Yeah. Except in the most interesting way, mm -hmm. you're trying to hold a bigger understanding of who we are and what we're doing yeah. here. Because I even like what astrology is about as well. Yeah. Because I also work with children with with the parent being present, um, helping them bring out their abilities because you know, just it's coming up even more and more and more. Like my my youngest client actually is eight. And you know, I remember when I was a child, I was like seeing so many things and I didn't want to be here and and you, you know, like looking back, I'm like, I wished I would have had somebody explain what what I was seeing, what was going on. And that's why when it came, it, it came up a few years ago, one of my clients, she said, you know, my, my son, you know, he's, he's seen all of these things. And then right away, I thought, you know, I could help him because I know what he's seen. I know what he's experiencing. So yes. that prompted me because, you know, the more children that I can help bring out their abilities and give them a peace of mind that you're not crazy, you know, it'll, ground them more to be understand and then this grow up to huge. help others. Yes, Jenny, this is hugely important, really. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's a word for this in Sanskrit. There is a, a good word in Sanskrit for most things, but this one came from Sanskrit. The word is edukare. That's the Greek word. And it means to bring forth. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. The word that preceded that is called adhikari. Mm. Adi means before. And so adhikari means what have you studied before? It means what grade are you in? Yeah. So what's missing in our education is what the culture of India did first thing. Mm -hmm. They looked at the horoscope. Then they came to some ideas about what the person might be like. Then it, they studied them as they grew up and as they were in the first stages of school to see what they were really here to learn. Yeah. And they drew that out of them rather than piling a bunch of information on top of it. Yeah. So this meant that the education was tailored to draw you out. So our word education comes from the Greek word edukari from mm -hmm. the Sanskrit adhikari. And it means, mm -hmm. what are you here to learn? Yeah. That's the question we should ask. Absolutely. What is this child here to learn? What yeah. is their nature? Yeah. How can I find a way to teach them mm -hmm. to have a career that matches their nature. How many people do you know who are in the wrong career and hate it and their life is miserable because they're working 10 hours a day at something they're not interested in or inclined to yeah. do? Yeah. Millions. Yeah. It's a Psychologists make a lot of money on mm -hmm. people who are unhappy because they haven't been educated right and they're not working correctly and they feel estranged because of that. Some become criminals, some become, if you weren't if fortunate in life, yeah. have any education, you wouldn't have a job you don't like, you'd be in prison or you'd yeah. be a criminal. Yeah. And we're doing this to our fellow human beings by not treating each one of them as sacred and not creating an education system yeah. that helps them find the thing they're here to do and that they're best at. And we hope they're not here to destroy the place. We <laughs> hope they're here yeah. to do something useful. Mm -hmm. But according to the yogic teachings, some are here to destroy the place because that's what they were doing in their last life. Yeah. So yeah. that is also a reality. Some mm -hmm. people will start out mm -hmm. in a bad mood. Yeah. Then the question is, could you by good association improve that? Mm -hmm. And while they're a child, you could probably.
If we knew that, then we wouldn't put them in prison or reform school. We'd put them on a farm or some other place and teach mm -hmm. them something that will be a valuable skill. Yeah. But we just don't understand the human condition correctly. That's mm -hmm. the, the bottom line of not knowing this. That's what yes. yoga really is. Yes. It's really seeing the bigger picture of our journey as, as yeah. beings throughout life. Yeah, because I think it's really important too, like, you know, you hear different, you know, different countries where now in their, their schooling, you know, whether in school, out school, that they're starting to, you know, teach the meditation and that's so vitally important. You, you know, I, I mean, with me, I didn't connect with school. I didn't connect with no one, none, no one. The only thing I connected with was art because then I could be myself. And I, th I think the more people learn meditation, especially children, so they can grow up whenever they're having that kind of moment of uncertainty, they, they get trained and learn, okay, I, I can, you know, do yoga or I can meditate. Yes. Let's, let's put a name on that for everybody. That the thing that is intrinsic to anything. So mm -hmm. during our talk, I've been having a glass huh. of water to drink. So there's an essence to water, and that is it's liquid. It quenches our thirst. Yeah. And it's the biological basis of our being. So that's called its dharma. Yeah. The dharma of water is to be liquid. Yes. Yeah. So the question we're asking is twofold. One is, what is the dharma of every living entity? And the answer mm -hmm. to that is mm -hmm. to be divine. Yeah. Then, since they're reincarnating and here for a purpose, the next word is, then what is their purpose this lifetime? That's called their sva dharma, mm. their own dharma. Yeah. So there's two parts, us as immortal beings, in that regard, we're all of the same nature. Mm -hmm. Then our sva dharma is what are you here for this lifetime? And that's where astrology is interesting. It's to help someone find that, not to predict their future, yeah. but to help them make their future. Mm -hmm. And to teach them that everyone is unique. And so don't think badly of yourself because you don't fit the cookie mold yeah. that you're being pushed through. And that's what you were objecting to. And I was objecting to in yeah. high school and junior yeah. high yeah. and grade school. You're pushing me through a cookie mold. You don't even know me. Yeah. You're just piling knowledge on top of me no matter who I am. Yeah. You, you painted, I wrote poetry. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it was information going in one ear and out the other. And it was a real struggle, you know, like to stay focused. It's like, I don't belong here. I don't, I don't fit in like with nobody. I called it reform school. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It was trying to reform me in the image of something I didn't want to be, but worst of all, it was unconscious. Oh, we seem to have a frozen moment <laughs> for some reason. We should afford is education that truly honors the individual and brings, it, brings that individual forth so they live with dignity and excitement throughout their life. Yes. That's the, that's the yogic view. Yes, yes. So, so what it... We don't have that as our basis of our education. I know. I, I agree. I, I agree. You know, and if somebody says, you know, like given an opportunity, would you go back 
five years, five days. I said, you know what? I wouldn't even go back five seconds, like five seconds. I stay in the now and moving forward. Ah, well, that's the philosophical question. If you say stay in the now, I say which one? Yeah, no, it, absolutely. So you're halfway to paradise. Yeah. Because what you said is absolutely true. One great uh, poet from India actually said, forget the past which sleeps and ne'er the future dream at all, but live in times that are with you and progress you will call. Yes. So yes, it's in the present moment that we can reestablish the direction of our future. Mm -hmm. But the question is, how do you restructure that moment instead of just calling it the now, which is the mistake of the new age movement? Yeah. They assume that everyone knows what to do in that now. Mm -hmm. But in fact, yeah. that present moment, that now, is how now, Brown Dow. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay, but what do what in the now? Mm -hmm. Not just be, because that's not the point. We're not here just to be. We're here to be something. Yeah. It's true. Our intrinsic nature already exists. So it's a confusion of Svadharma with Sanatan Dharma. Mm -hmm. To know your Sanatan Dharma, if you say just be, then everyone would just sit around and do nothing. Yeah. But if I say, what's next after you know that you're an immortal being? Now... What's this vehicle best used for? Yeah. That's your sva dharma. Oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. One's own. And that's what we should be doing in the now, is we should be doing what we're here now for. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, and half of it only confuses people and they go, okay, then it's all good. No, it's not. It's not <laughs> yeah. all good. It's all relative. Yeah. It, one person's food is another person's poison. One body type can eat this, the other one can't. Yes. One is meant to be this in that body, one is meant to be that in that body. Mm -hmm. This is Ayurveda, it's the basis of medicine, and it's sadly missing in our medical system. We choose the medicine for the disease, not the treatment for the patient. Yes. We don't match the treatment to the nature of the body we impose the medicine on the disease and the body. Mm -hmm. But originally medicine asked the question, what kind of car am I working on? Imagine you had a Lamborghini and it started breaking down and you were somewhere in the, in the uh, redneck part of America and you went into a garage and said, uh, have you ever worked on a Lamborghini? And they said, oh, it's just a car. Hell yeah, I can do, you know, it's just a car, I'll fix it. You wouldn't let them work on your car. <laughs> you say thanks anyway, Clem, <laughs> but I think I'll go find the right kind of mechanic. So this is very important that mm -hmm. each one of us is in a different kind of vehicle. And if you don't understand how to live in that vehicle, yeah. you're abusing it by eating the wrong things, living the wrong way, behaving the wrong way. And if that creates a, a physical imbalance mm -hmm. and you go to a doctor, and they just give you a sledgehammer medicine that's one pill fixes all, mm -hmm. some people will die from that medicine. Yes. It's wrong for their body. Yeah. Some people will be made worse by that medicine, and a, a percentage will be made improved by that medicine because 
their body can it metabolize it. Yeah. So this mistaken understanding pervades our education, our medical system, and the sincerest of people are doing this. They're not insincere. They're just confused because they haven't yeah. learned about our unique individuality physically, and they haven't learned metaphysically to see everyone as on a journey of their own making. Yes, absolutely. The, why, why do they call um, Western astrology tropical? Like that, the other name, where, like where does that come in? Because the, the solstices and equinoxes of the year are a matter of the sun in its relationship to the earth. So the first day of spring each year is known as the spring equinox. Mm. And then the summer solstices are the longest day and longest night of the year at a particular latitude and longitude. So if there was no wobble to the earth, the same star group would rise every year in the east on the first day of spring. Mm. Mm. And because the wobble of the earth, now this is the part to watch carefully, the, the wobble of the earth uh, takes 25,920 years. And that wobble, one of those wobbles divided by 12 for the 12 signs is 2,160 years. So if there was no wobble, every year Aries would be the rising sign, would be rising in the first day of the sun on the spring equinox. Mm. But because of the wobble, the, the zodiac crosses the first day of spring 2,160 years at a time in one sign, and then the next one, mm. it moves backward through the zodiac. So 1,850 years ago, the first day of spring, the sun was in Aries. Starting at that time, it backed up into Pisces, 29 degrees, and it's been backing up ever since. And in about 375 years, we will enter the age of Aquarius. Yes. I know the song came out, but it's a little early. We don't enter the age of Aquarius for another 375 years. And on the first day of spring, mm -hmm. in that year, the sun will not be in Aries when it rises, as Western astrology would say, mm -hmm. not be in Pisces as it is right now. It will be in the previous sign, Aquarius. Mm -hmm. And it goes backwards through the signs instead of forward. That's so, that's so interesting. Because I know that, um, you know, some people think that we are currently in Aquarius energy, you know, in the, in the Aquarius time and such like that. So, you know, it, it's good that you talked about that because I know that some people, oh, we're in Aquarius energy right now and, and you know, everything is going to be good and it's all love and light and everything like that. So, you know, I just wanted to, you know, touch bases with you, you know, on that and 
be able to give just a little bit of insight with that Jeffrey. So Jeffrey has left the room. <laughs> so we're not sure where Jeffrey has went right now, but um, you know, there's been a little bit of internet um, conditions here and um, we still have a little bit of full moon energy in here. So I have no doubt that this is what's happened. So if we're going to continue actually doing a series of um, interviews with Jeffrey Armstrong because he's extraordinary and very gifted with so much knowledge. And as I said before, it's an extreme honor for me. I have a lot of respect for Jeffrey and um, with his wisdom and his knowledge with everything. So looks like he's trying to um, call. So I'm not sure um, what we're going to do. We can see, we can see him. Um, it looks like his mic is off, but I don't know. But um, we will see if we can try to connect um, with this again. So let's just see if that comes up here. So not sure what is going on, but um, he might come back up again. But it looks like it's on mute for some for some reason. Um, but um, it's it's all okay. Have no worries, everyone. Um, we will continue on um, with another interview with Jeffrey Armstrong in a very short time. So if you all would like to learn more about Jeffrey with his wisdom and his insights, you can always sign up and subscribe to my YouTube channel under Jenny Cousins with uh, and there he is there he is he has come back so that is no that is okay we can't hear you jeffrey so let's just check to see i think you can hear me okay but um we can't hear you so let's just make sure that um this is um huh okay everything should be okay Let's just see if um, Jeffrey, Jeffrey can hear me, but I don't hear Jeffrey for some reason. So, I mean, what we can do is actually what I was just saying to everybody that we are gonna be doing um, more interviews on Jeffrey because he is extraordinary, full of wisdom, full of historical knowledge, astrological knowledge <laughs> i'm actually not even saying that word right so because i wanted jeffrey to recite actually one of his poems as well because they're they're amazing like it literally goes right through me so we'll see if we can um get this unmuted for some reason um let's just see here we don't have enough power for the computer so that is okay so jeffrey um, what we can do is, you know, we can, we can end this interview right now and 
stay tuned everybody because there's more interviews coming up with Jeffrey and you can catch Jeffrey on his website at jeffreyarmstrong.com. He does a lot of teachings. He's an amazing teacher. I'm currently taking one of his courses and I'll end up taking all of them because as you all can see, he's extraordinary. So, because I'm not sure what's going on with the computer, but the full moon energy we're still in. So <laughs> we will surrender this for now. Um, if that's okay, Jeffrey, we can't hear you. Okay. So everybody, this was Jeffrey Armstrong. And thank you again, Jeffrey. And um, it will be up online in due time. And so everyone can watch it. So thank you again. This is Soul to Soul Connections with Jenny G and your host, Jenny G. Sign up and subscribe to my YouTube channel, Jenny Cousins, and also Jeffrey Armstrong. He's got a lot on there and a lot out there. Until next time, everyone. And Jeffrey, thank you again. So surrender the internet connection for whatever reason, everyone. Okay. Namaste, and we'll be in. I'll be in touch with you soon, Jeffrey. Okay, namaste. Mm -hmm.